church, I pray that today is going to be one of those moments in your spiritual life and your spiritual journey that there will be a turning point for you this morning. Because what we're going to talk about today is so entrenched in all of us. It's, it's something that honestly as a church, for some reason we shy away from talking about it when the reality is This is something that needs to be at the forefront of our discussion as the people of God. Because the reality is there's a world around us that's hurting, but it's not just the world around us that's hurting. There are people around us that are hurting, and many times the person that's hurting is us. Because the reality is all of us struggle. When we talk about sin, sin almost becomes a word that we don't want to deal with in church anymore. We don't want to talk about it in church anymore. We don't want to think about the fact that all of us have a real struggle. We've almost come to a place as a church where we feel like that rather than dealing with the topic of sin, rather than dealing with the struggles that are really going on in our hearts and our lives, rather than talking about those things, we push those things away. We set them aside and we have the idea that, you know what, I'm a believer now, and because I'm a believer in Christ, I shouldn't be struggling with these things. But folks, let me tell you something. The struggle that is going on in you is the struggle that is going on in the person next to you, in the person next to them, in the person next to them. The one thing that I don't ever want to see us do as a church body, I heard a pastor pray not long ago, and, and the words that he prayed, they just... They hit me in a deep part of my soul and in my heart. Because as a pastor, this is what I want to see the church become. Not just Hepsville, but the, the church itself, the kingdom of God. This is who we should be. He said in that prayer, he said, church, may we become a people where there is no lying. Where there is no hypocrisy. Where there is no posing. No vaunted perfectionism. Lord, deliver us from a church like that with its pasted smiles, its chipper superficiality, and blindness to our own failures that make us quick to judge others. God, give us the honesty and the candor and the humility of the Apostle Paul. I hope that we can get real today. Because until we get real about the issues that are going on in our hearts and lives, until we're honest about the struggles that we are facing, folks, it is so hard to overcome the things that God has told us we can overcome if we're not willing to face reality within our lives. And folks, here is the reality that we're going to face Today, that there is a battle that rages in the lives of even believers. There is a battle within us. If there wasn't a battle within us, then there'd be no need for Paul to be talking about what he's been talking about 
in chapter 6 and he's going to continue through chapter 8 because what he is reminding us of is that we are in the midst of a process. We said that this process is called sanctification. And folks, I want you to know that part of sanctification is a battle. It is a war that is going on in our hearts and in our souls as the new man, the new person that we are in Christ. We said last week that there was a battle that literally we cannot win. We can't become better without Jesus Christ. We can't change without Jesus Christ. We said last week that unless we're unified with Christ, we can't please God. Because the only way that we could please God is by obeying the law. And I don't know about you, but I've always struggled obeying the commands of God. And the law never gave me the potential to change, it never gave me the potential to be acquitted. All the law did was it said that I was guilty. All the law did was it said that I stood condemned. And the law offered me no hope. And if I was depending on the law to do something, then you know what the Word of God says? It says that's a battle that you cannot and you will not win. But then he comes in in these verses, in chapter 7, verse 14 through 25, and he says, but I want you to know that there is a battle that you cannot lose. These verses have the potential, if we understand them rightly, to change our life. What we're saying today and what we're going to discuss today, Paul has already said, he's already stated from the beginning in chapter 6, he says, so what should we say as believers? Because God's grace is available, because of forgiveness, should we just go on sinning? Does it matter how we live? The Paul, uh, Paul's answer is absolutely yes, it matters how we live. Absolutely, he says, we don't just keep on sinning so that God's grace and so that his forgiveness might abound. God says, God forbid it. But folks, that doesn't mean that the struggle isn't real for us. And I want you to know today that he's promised us victory. But to get to victory, we've got to battle. To get to victory, I don't know if you realize it yet, the devil doesn't know he's lost yet. The war has been won. Jesus has said it is finished. Jesus has said and made us promises and he's, he's told us things that, that tell us we are more than conquerors. That tell us what he begins in us, he will complete in us. We know that this process of sanctification, we know where it ends. We, we know what we will become. But the reality is from now to then, we must battle. Let me read to you what it says in chapter 7, verse 14. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual. We talked about that last week. The law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual. He says, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. Anybody feel that? Am, am I the only one that reads that and goes, whew? He says, I don't understand it. I'm practicing what I would like, or I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing, and that's a strong statement, the thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. 
For the willing is present in me. So he says, I got the want to, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. Does that not sound like an autobiography for us in this room? Can anybody understand where Paul is in this moment? That you know what it is that you ought to do. That everything in you, there is this part of you that delights to obey the law of God. But there is this other part of you that still continues to pull. That still seems to say to you, do that which you know is not right. Folks, we have to understand the battle within. What we are reading in this section of Scripture, this is not the whole experience, the whole Christian experience, but it is a part of it. Folks, I want you to know that in our walk with Jesus, there are great victories, but I also want you to know, and I, sh I don't think I have to tell you this, that there are also great failures. There's a struggle that is happening inside of you. And we realize that it's a fight. So this morning, there are four things that I want to share with you about this text that I hope will, will bring you victory in the days ahead and help you understand this battle that is raging within you. Number one, the flesh in the spirit. If you want to know what war is happening inside of you, the Bible makes it clear right here that the flesh and the spirit are at war within us. One of the things that's interesting about this text, this is a hotly debated text. This is probably one of the texts in Scripture that is most written about of all Scripture because people debate whether or not Paul is a believer in the moment, or not a believer, whether he is referring to himself where he is spiritually now as a believer or was this a reference to who he was before he was in Christ. But I think one of the telling things about this text is that he's, I don't believe for a second that he's claiming this is an unbeliever who has the struggle. I don't think for a second he would make the claim that a believer doesn't struggle with self, a believer doesn't struggle with sin, that a believer never struggles with the flesh. I don't think that's what Paul is saying at all. I think he is writing this as a mature believer in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you why, because he was using the past tense in verses 1 through 13. He used the past tense. This is who I was. This was true of me before, but it's not true now. Past tense, he spoke in 1 through 13 when he talked about the law. This battle that I cannot seem to win. I am a sinner, and I'm under the law, and the law can't save me. And he was saying, past tense, that's who I am. But when he gets to verse 14, he shifts. And he goes from speaking in the past tense 
to speaking in the present tense. Not only that, but I think you hear things in here that tell you that this is about a believer. Because someone who's an unbeliever, there's things that unbelievers don't do. They don't delight in the law of God. And you notice in here how many times it says that I delight in the law of God. That there is this desire in me to do what is right, what is good, what is holy. I think that's one of the sure evidences of the work of the Spirit in the life of a person is that they are never comfortable in their sin. When they struggle, when they fall, when they sin, they wrestle with God. And he says, there is this part of me that I want to do God's will. He says, there is this part of me that I I hate the right things. There, There are these things that I hate in my life because I know they're not right. I know they don't honor God. I believe he's talking from the Christian experience. I believe this text is consistent with Scripture. If you if you go over to Galatians, just a couple books over. When you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, he speaks to it here. The same author basically condenses all the chapters we just, or verses we just read into one verse. Listen to what he says in Galatians 5, 17. He says, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. Isn't that the same wording? He's writing here to believers. He's talking to us as believers and he's telling us, he's warning us. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For those are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you, what? Please. Paul is clearly speaking to the Christian audience here. And he's telling us in Galatians, again, there is this battle between the flesh and the spirit of God that is raging. And so we have to recognize that the flesh and the spirit, they are at war within us. This is an honest Christian who is fighting sin, a real life experience of a Christian man. Many times we misunderstand spiritual warfare. We think spiritual warfare It's always this idea that it's going on in the heavenlies. Folks, I want you to understand that spiritual warfare isn't just going on in the places and the realms that are unseen. I want you to know that your heart and your soul is ground zero for spiritual warfare. The war is inside of you. The battle that has to be fought is fought on the turf of our hearts every single day. And when we talk about the flesh, what we mean is it is that part of you, that that. All of you, that that still is there because you're living in a broken body. You're living in a broken world. This flesh is that part of you that if it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for the change that he brings, if it wasn't for the new heart and the new nature that he brings into the equation, it is that part of you that would be utterly sinful Except for Jesus. When we talk about the flesh, the mind, the body, the spirit, apart from Jesus, the totality of our sinful nature, that's what he means when he speaks about the flesh. Most of us don't understand as believers that when you become a Christian, the old self in in ways never goes away. That throughout this process of sanctification, 
we still are going to wrestle because we're wrestling between two natures that are going on within us. It doesn't go away and it doesn't really even lose its strength. Remember that I said that because we're going to come back to that. This flesh, this part of us, have you ever sat back and wondered, why do I want to look at that? Why do I want to listen to that? You ever lay down at night and, and as a believer, you're still thinking, what is wrong with me? Where did that thought come from? Folks, it's the flesh that's warring within your members. But he says there's this other side of us. The inner self that also, he says in these verses, that delight in the law of God. I mean, he says it over and over. I'm doing the very thing that I hate. So he knows what's right and what's good. And he desires to do it. Yet there's this struggle. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. Oh, apart from Christ, that's an absolute true statement. But there is this inner self, and I, I want you to hear me say this. When I say the inner self, what I mean is the real you in Christ. What you will become. Not what you could become, not what you can become, but what? What you will become if you're in Christ. See, that's the wrestling. Because he says, on one hand, I know who I am in Christ. On one hand, he just got done talking about his union with Christ. He said, but on the other hand, it's like there's this, this raging battle. And it seems like I can't become the thing that God desires for me to become. And our instinct is to believe that. Our instinct is to think, well, this is a battle that I can't win. I will declare to you today, this is actually a battle that you can't lose. We know that we've acknowledged Jesus as Lord and we want to do God's laws. Well, folks, unbelievers wouldn't say those things. And I want you to see that the frustration, the anguish, the struggle that we are going through. And, and this is, again, where people, I think, fail to understand the anguish, the frustration, the struggle that we're going through. This is what sanctification looks like. We want to think of sanctification as something flowery and, and, and good in the sense that there's never a negative to it. Because we're tying sanctification with salvation, we just immediately think, well, it's going to be like our justification. That moment when God said, you're not guilty. What do you feel in that moment? You feel elation. You feel freedom. You, you feel hope. You suddenly can breathe again because you know you sit in God's forgiveness. And then we struggle when we hit sanctification. Because it feels like a battle. Well, that's because it is a battle. There's nothing wrong with you spiritually. And see, that's why we want to put on the face and the mask 
and the hypocrisy, and we want to hide behind smiles because we, 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 we feel like this shouldn't be. And I'm telling you that the Apostle Paul says this is the process by which he's going to make you an overcomer. You aren't going to lose. You are going to win, but it's going to be through battle. It's going to be through a spiritual warfare that is going on to the depth of your soul. The simple way to look at these verses is a person that says, I want to serve Jesus, not my flesh, but the flesh is kind of like, nope. You may want to serve Jesus, but you're not going to. There's that part of us that rises up against what God is trying to do in us. Many of us would never choose this as our life verse. <laughs> when the reality is, this is what most of us are walking and living day to day as we seek to follow Jesus but it just doesn't sound like a life verse that you would come along and basically just say so many good intentions, but so little progress. I hate sin, but I still do it. I want to do righteousness, but I find so much in me opposing that. But Paul makes clear here about this battle. He says that even as a Christian, he recognizes that suddenly it seems as though there are two natures existing within him. The new me, what is the real me, saved by Christ, resurrected, empowered. The guy that wants to please God and do what's right, and yet there is this other nature in there, this sin nature. The Bible talks about the old man, the old nature that resides there. Who doesn't ever want to do what's right. And he only seeks to please himself. Has anybody recognized this battle? Does this sound true to anybody? Just Miss Sue, really? Okay, I was just thinking, man, me and Sue, we're just wretched. But let me share with you, secondly, the key to fighting the flesh and being, or the key to fighting the flesh is being filled with the Spirit. You see, when we talk about how do we win this battle, the reality is that you've got to recognize that you have this new nature in Christ that is within you. You have his spirit, yet this old nature and flesh is still there, and it wants to corrupt. It wants to ruin. The first thing that I would say if you want to overcome the flesh, you've got to determine whether or not you're feeding the flesh or whether you're feeding the spirit. That's the first key. To winning this fight. Let me say that again. In this life, you have to determine which nature it is that you're going to feed. And let me tell you why that is. Whichever nature you feed, it becomes stronger. If you have a steady diet of things that are going to tempt the flesh, then you realize that the flesh is probably going to begin to win out. If you fill your mind with garbage, you realize that the more you watch sexual acts, guess what starts to happen in you? You just say it's just a TV show. It's just something. It's harmless. It doesn't matter. You know, it's just on a screen on the living room wall. Does it really make a difference? You better believe it because if you fill your mind with sex through pornography or through what you're watching on TV, you better realize that you are feeding the flesh that is within you. And suddenly more and more, rather than the spirit having control of you, you're going to find that your flesh has control of you. 
And I can promise you, whichever you feed, it's going to be more, more powerful. You see, this is why the church constantly says, you know what, we've got to have a steady diet of the word of God. We've got to have a steady diet of prayer in our life. We've got to have a steady diet of interaction among believers. We need the body of Christ. We need to let the Spirit of God take control of our life because if we're not feeding the Spirit, then we're feeding the flesh. And whichever one you feed, I'm telling you, you're going to find that you're either going to live victorious or you're going to live defeated. And you've got to make a decision. Well, do Christians have to? I mean, I'm just telling you, you, you can argue me, you can debate me. You, I don't, it doesn't matter what you think, it's what's true. There's coming a day when we as Christians are going to have to make some decisions about technology. Well, Aaron, that's just being, you know, I mean, you're just being a fuddy-duddy. I mean, it's technology. You can't stop what's happening in the world. Listen, if you don't start putting some limits on technology... If you don't start putting a limit on what you watch and what you listen to. Who you hang out with. We feed the old nature so much we can't figure out why does he seem so strong. You want to ask the question, well, can we defeat the old nature? You better believe it. Because what he says here, he uses the term, it's interesting. He starts talking about the law here. The reason I find it so interesting is he says that when you consider what's going on, he says that there's a law that is at work within you, this law of sin. I want you to liken it to the law of gravity. The law of gravity, if it's a law, that means that it's set, that every time you test it, it comes out the same. It's, it's true always, right? So gravity says what? If I drop this pin, what's happening? Every time, right? It has to. What goes up must come down. That's like sin for us. Because what you don't realize is that there is this law that's always going on inside of you, this, this part of you that wants to sin, that gravitates towards sin, that has a desire to do that which we know is wrong, and it never goes away. It never, ever stops. And I want you to realize that in many ways for a long time they thought that, you know what, you really can't defy gravity. You can't really overcome gravity because gravity is always at work. But what we found is that's not true, is it? Because while that law is absolute, there are other laws that are at work too, aren't there? I want you to think about an airplane. An airplane, for all practical purposes, it looks like it completely defies gravity. But it's not. Gravity is still pulling constantly on that airplane. It may be overcoming gravity. But it's not technically defying gravity. And for us spiritually, what the Spirit of God wants to do in our life is He wants us to be able in this broken body, in this broken world, in this flesh, He tells us, He is saying to us that there is the law of God and there is the law of sin. And I want you to know today that the law of God 
can help you overcome that law of sin. Because with a plane, you know what a plane needs? It needs thrust. It needs lift. The shape of a wing basically plays with the air in a way that allows the plane to, to fly. And as long as you've got fuel, and as long as you've got thrust, and as long as you've got lift, let me tell you, as long as those things are in place, it's amazing because you should look at a plane and the weight of a plane, and you look at it and you would think, it is impossible for that thing to get off the ground and defy gravity. But you look up in the sky today, and what do you see? You see planes. Now let me ask you a question. Has gravity ever stopped working? No, it's always there, always. In the moment you start feeding the flesh, in the moment you start, and I want you to think in your life, what's the thrust, what's the lift, what's the fuel, that as long as you have those things, you can overcome that constant pull of sin that is going on in your life. Most of us, we don't live that way believing that we can overcome. It starts with you believing that, yes, sin is always present. Sin is always working on me. There is this constant pull to do what is wrong. But have you come to the place that you realize there is another law that can actually give you victory and help you overcome the sin that is always pulling at you? See, that's the problem when believers think that they've made it. I'm so far along in my walk in my faith, I've arrived, I've made it, and we stop getting in the Word, and we stop praying, and what we find is that, you know what, we stop being part of the body of believers, we start feeding the old nature again, and what we realize is that once we lose the thrust, and once we lose the lift, and once we lose the fuel, you know what begins to happen, right? You suddenly have the realization that that which I thought went away, it's always been there pulling. You can see why so many struggle. Folks, if you cater to the old nature, the old nature is going to move right back in and ruin you. He's the same vengeful, hateful predator that he has always been. And I can assure you this, if you're not actively seeking to kill sin, sin is actively seeking to kill you. And you got to make up your mind. Because I also want you to see, thirdly, that the victory is promised. And that changes everything. I want you to see with me this morning that I know that my sinful cravings are not the true me anymore. Do you realize that that's the promise that is given to us in this text? He says it's not me, but it's the sin within me. He says that Christ is desiring to do something different, but yet I know that sin's still there and it's still pulling and it's still trying. But he says, I want you to recognize first and foremost that you have victory because of what God has said. And if you're unified with Christ, then he says that you can have victory. Because those sinful cravings, you have to recognize that's not me anymore. That's the old me. That's the dead me. But there is a new me, a, a, a resurrected me. An empowered me. 
a spirit-filled me. Some of you think about this battle and you think, I can't win. That's the wrong way to think. This is a battle. Because of Christ, you cannot lose. Not only does it, or do we know that our sinful natures are not the true me anymore, we also need to realize that it gives me confidence. These promises of God, they give me confidence even in the most discouraging seasons of my life. I liken it to what happened in December 1941. If you remember, we were in the middle of a world war. We weren't, but the world was. Europe was. Asia was. But it hadn't come to the United States. And you know that England wanted the U.S. to get into the war, but the U.S. didn't want to get into war. And then everything changed December 7th, 1941. Many of you remember that was when Pearl Harbor was attacked. Well, when Pearl Harbor was attacked, that changed everything. And Winston Churchill, the day that he heard that the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, he walked into his office and he called FDR. And he said to FDR, well, we are all in the same boat now. And Churchill would later write in his memoir, no American will think it wrong of me to proclaim that hearing that the U.S. was suddenly on our side, it was the greatest joy to me. He said, I knew in that moment England would live, Britain would live. The rest of the war was simply proper application of overwhelming force. He said, I went to bed and slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful. And you see, that's what we have to believe, church, that we have within us the Spirit of God. And when we have the Spirit of God, we have the overwhelming force that should let us rest and know that we can be victorious. You see, you're not the overwhelming force. The Spirit of God in you is the overwhelming force. You're not the overwhelming force. The cross and what it accomplished is the overwhelming force. You're not the force, but the resurrection power of God, that's the force. And the Bible and the Word of God says that you have that force. That overwhelming force that will allow you to overcome. The key is never to give up. Keep struggling against sin. The day that you give up is the day that your life gets ruined. How many of y'all love whitewater rafting? I do. It's a dangerous thing, really. That river, if it had its way, it'd just soon kill you, right? A river is a powerful thing. Water is an extremely powerful thing. And it's interesting, the guy in the boat who is your guide, all he's really telling you to do is what? He's just saying paddle. And he's yelling out, what are the commands? Paddle left. Well, he does tell you hold on sometimes. But the commands are paddle left. When he tells you paddle left, what ought you be doing? You better get to paddling left because he sees what's coming in the river and the river wants to take you to the rocks, right? The river wants to destroy you. The river will hurt you and he is telling you paddle left, paddle left so that you can turn. Paddle right, paddle right so that you can turn. You know what the worst thing is you can do on a river? is take your paddle and just throw it away and let the river take you where it wants. And there are many people, that's how they live their spiritual life. They see themselves as defeated. They see it that, you know what, the river's going to take me where the river is going to take me. And no longer when they hear God say, paddle left, paddle left, they, they, they've just thrown the paddles away. 
paddle right, paddle, and they just thrown the paddles away. And the reality is, you will never have victory when you quit. When you stop battling, when you just accept it for what it is, and you just say, well, well I, I'm just a sinner. No, you are more than that. The struggle makes us appreciate and cherish God's grace even more. When we understand that the victory is ours, we appreciate that we know that God recognizes that we're sinners. Some of you in this room, that's what you need to recognize, that God knows how you need to mature. When you ever took your kids out to teach them to ride a bike, remember how that, what that was like? Did you think that you were going to let them go and they were just going to... What did you know? They're going to fall and they're going to get hurt and they're going to cry and they're going to have scrapes and they're going to have bruises, right? What does a good father do? Does he sit there and yell at the child? Well, you're an idiot. How stupid are you? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, what? It's like you've never ridden a, ridden a bike before. And the kid's like, I never have ridden a bike before. As a matter of fact. Could you imagine treating someone like that? But what does a father do, a loving father? He brushes you off and he puts some stuff on the scrapes and bruises and he puts a band-aid on there. And what does he tell you? Let's try this again. You can do this. Because he knows that maturity is a process and the more that he sends you away like that, and the more that he encourages, and the more that he bandages and does all those things, eventually he knows he's going to let go of you one day. And what are you going to do? You're going to ride. You think God doesn't understand that? You think God doesn't see that and recognize that that is the journey? What I love is the way this ends because he basically says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Paul at the end just recognizes, man, I'm just, I, I feel so worthless sometimes. Look how wretched I am. Look at what resides still within me. And he says, who can set me free? He is crying out to God. But here is the great promise that the cry of a desperate heart, it is always heard by God. Isn't that good news? Quit hiding, quit running from him. Cry out to him because the cry of a desperate heart is always heard by God. Grace is what we need. I keep saying it over and over. John Newton wrote at 83 years old, at the end of his life, here's what he said about grace. He said that we think growing in grace means getting to a place where we don't need grace anymore. But growing in grace on this side of the resurrection often means growing in our awareness of our need for grace. He said, write this down. Growing in grace means growing in the awareness of it. Not getting to a place where you feel you are no longer in need of it. Keep running to God. Keep crying out to God. Don't give up on the battle because God hears the cry of our desperate heart. This text, you hear Paul's cry of desperation. And I want you to remember what the psalmist said, the broken and contrite, he will not despise. Because deep down, you know what God knows? We've made a decision to seek God. We want to change. We want God more and more and more. And that's what repentance is. 
And so we call out to God on behalf of our broken, cold hearts. Anguished, weary Christian that's here today, cry out to God. He'll hear your heart. He'll hear your cry. We spend far too much time looking at ourselves. One Scottish preacher simply said, for every one look that you give to yourself, give ten looks to Christ. Because that's where your help is going to come from, church. And what I love at the end of this, at the end of the wrestling, at the end of the struggle, you know where Paul ends up? He collapses in worship before God. Because he says, God, you know how worthless I am. You know how wretched I am. Who in the world can help me? What is my hope? And you know what he comes to the conclusion of? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As Kevin comes this morning, I just... I hope you see yourself differently. I hope that you see the Lord differently. Because many of you, uh, Tony Evans said it well. Years ago, he, he did a sermon, and one of the things that he f- said in the sermon was he said that we have to decide what kind of dog we're going to be. A, <laughs> he said a law dog or a grace dog. fits to what we're talking about here because he said i can recognize a law dog easily he says when the master comes home a dog that lives under the law he says when the master reaches out his hand he shies away because all he knows of the master is this vengeful hateful hurtful master who when anything is ever done wrong he whips him with a paper or chains him up He said, but then there's the grace dog. When the master walks in, his tail goes to wagging. And rather than shying away from the master, he runs to the master. Because he knows that the master loves him. God wants grace dogs. Some of you are walking around like God only wants law dogs. That if he only knew my struggle, I got news for you, he already knows. God must hate me. God must know. He loves you. He cares for you. He sees you. And like a good dad, you know what he's going to brush you off. He's going to bandage the wounds. He's going to send you on your way. And say, let's do it again. So let this message give you hope today. I want to ask you, which nature are you feeding? How much time is given for the Lord to work on the spirit growing, the spirit within you to the point that you can say, I'm filled with the spirit of God. He's got control. 
I'm in the Word. I'm on my knees. I'm growing. I'm taking every opportunity, making sure that what goes in my mind doesn't feed the flesh, but it feeds the Spirit within me. How many of you today can say, I'm going to come to grips that God knows my failures, and like a good father, he's going to walk beside me and help me mature and grow. And I don't have to fear him in the sense that he doesn't love me or he won't accept me or he sees my failures and I can't even come into his presence. That is not at all the God that we serve. Are you willing today to stop throwing the oars into the river and saying, I give up? As long as you fight the river, you know what's true, you'll live. But the day you stop fighting, Father, may you speak to our hearts today. Meet us here in this place. And Lord, I pray that you'll give us victory in this moment. That Lord, we will believe once again that you are able and that you are enough. And Lord, even though we battle this flesh that is within us, Lord, we don't have to be defeated. In fact, this is the battle that we cannot lose. Because we have your promise that if you start something in us, you complete it. Lord, that you tell us that you will discipline us. You will do whatever it takes to get us back to the place that you've saved us to be. So, Lord, help us not get discouraged. Help us not give in. Help us not to just leave this place overwhelmed. But, Lord, I pray we would leave this place free today. So, as your church prays, speak to their hearts. If there's someone here that needs you, to be Lord and Savior of their life, Lord, nothing I've said today will make a difference to them until they give their heart and life to you, until they surrender and repent of their sins and trust you with their whole heart. And Lord, until they surrender and follow you as Lord, Lord, they're still stuck in a battle they can never win. So Lord, I pray that maybe today would be the day of salvation. Speak to us, meet us here in this moment in Jesus' name.